0: Welcome back to another episode of A Daisy Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokwai, and the voices I am seeking may have never been heard before, but their stories deserve to be told. What is a Desi Woman? She is a dynamic, fearless, and strong woman. She is your mother, your grandmother, your daughter, your sister. She is every one of us who is on an endless pursuit of self-empowerment and fulfillment. I am Sonia Gokhale, and I am a Daisy Woman. Hello, and welcome to another edition of a Daisy Woman podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokhale, and today we are so excited to be joined by Radha Patel. Radha is the founder of Single to Shadi and is based in Dallas, Texas. Ratha has been happily married for 11 years, but she was motivated to launch this business when she spoke to friends and family and realized that today's modern dating apps and social networks were leaving many Indian and South Asian singles out in the cold and still searching in vain for their perfect partner. Radha takes a hands-on approach to her clients and services, and Single to Shadi has become hugely popular with South Asians all across North America. Radha, welcome
1: to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sonia. I'm very excited to be a part of your uh, episode today. Well, Radha, we are so excited to talk to you today about
0: not only your business, Single to Shadi. But we also wanted to cover some related hot topics. And so I wanted to ask you, can you tell us what made you realize that your services were needed for South Asians in North America, which is currently area of focus? And I think what's really interesting is that you share on your site that you met your husband at a matchmaking convention. So can you tell us more about this business venture and what finally
1: motivated you to launch it? Yeah, absolutely. So the origin story, if you will, I think it all kind of culminated in the summer of 2018. Um, You know, I'd been married, as you mentioned, I met my husband at a matrimonial convention. Um, And, you know, we have a couple of kids, we're working, living our life in the community. But it kind of all culminated when I had a couple of different friends and family members who were single approach me and say, brother, if you know anybody, we're, you know, I'm open to dating. I'm looking seriously. And I was like, oh, sure, sure. I'll keep it in mind. But then I actually had two members of the older kind of generation, the auntie generation, if you will, independently also approach me saying, Rather, my colleague's son is looking for a girlfriend or my my sister-in-law some knows someone, whatever they may be. And so in my mind, I was like, OK, what's happening? Why are all these people from different parts of my life coming to me and asking if I know single people? I mean, I'm married and I have a couple of kids. I don't know any single people but I realized that I am a connector. I love networking my whole life. It's always been about making different groups of friends, being that person who was able to jump from topic to topic and really kind of create this diverse network of people in the community around me. And I always would take those tidbits from everyone's lives and try to be a connector. So if I was introducing you, Sonia, to somebody I met, I'd be like, Oh, you should check out Sonia's podcast. She's an amazing uh, interviewer and talks about some really good lazy topics and vice versa. And so because of this was in my nature and I realized that there is a need for people to find quality singles when it comes to dating with the intention of marriage. I said, why not jump into this space and see what I could do? And that evolved into what we eventually landed on, a single to shadi which is our matchmaking for, you know, people who are looking to be set up, but in not quite a traditional way. Our tagline is this is not your parents matchmaker.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. I really, really like that. And, you know, I wanted to ask you uh, your opinion about the runaway Netflix hit. Indian matchmaking. One of my most popular podcast episodes is with Dr. Usha Tamala Nara, where we discuss the show and break it down. And I you've made me aware that the show was actually released in India later than it was here in the US. But the show follows Seema Taparia, one of Mumbai's self-proclaimed top matchmakers. And she travels throughout the US, India, or really wherever else in the world her clients beckon are from in order to help families find the ideal match for their son or daughter. The show has inspired very difficult conversations about the realities of the Indian marriage industry, and it kind of puts a harsh lens on some of the longstanding biases faced by Indians and the diaspora pertaining to gender, patriarchy, colorism, and caste, just to name a few. And whether you're a fan of the show or you detested it and there's A lot of viewers who fall into both camps. It's sort of impossible to ignore Indian matchmaking and some of the conversation it has inspired. So I want to ask you from the lens of somebody that is in North America, what your thoughts are and if
1: you see some of these things in your work as well. Absolutely. I think the key phrase you mentioned there, Sonia, is when you said the indian wedding or marriage industry it is absolutely an industry and i want to say i think it's like the top business or industry in the country of india is weddings and marriage so this is obviously important from a cultural and religious aspect of a lot of south asians and in the country of India itself, they've they've made it the number one industry or business. And so, when you mix in business with something that's so personal, such you know as finding your future spouse, there tends to be some opposing forces just by the very nature of what you're doing. To dive into Sima Taparia and her kind of portion or where she fits into this, I'll actually encourage your listeners to take a step back. Uh, Again, regardless of what camp they fall in, whether they love this or they hated it, there's an interesting documentary called A Suitable Girl that also deals with Seema Taparia. And I had actually watched that while I was researching what I wanted to do with Single Dashadi. And that takes you to not an origin story of Seemahanti, but it shows you what life was like when you go into her world in Mumbai. And it's a documentary, so it doesn't have all of that juicy drama, the villain versus the hero concept that a reality show such as Netflix's version of Indian matchmaking had. And you really understand kind of what is her motivation why she's doing it it's not about the money for her you see why she's successful and where she kind of gets these claims of being one of the most famous matchmakers in india so i feel like zima auntie was given a kind of a villain role in the show because we're looking at it from a reality tv lens so I would give your audience some homework to go check out the original documentary made about Sima Auntie and see if that kind of changes their opinions on it. But to add on to your question about what, what about how it brings up these uncomfortable conversations around gender, patriarchy, and colorism, unfortunately, that is still so painfully present. Even in the diaspora, even as we're becoming second generation, these deep seated cultural attitudes around when a man should compromise versus when a woman should. What is a a woman's role in setting herself up or choosing for her future? And then obviously the more page, more problematic concepts of slim, trim and fair. Literally one of the episodes was called slim, trim and fair. And, and that just evokes all of this old school versus new school sentiment, which I think that the shell might have played into a little bit, but absolutely still does factor into the decision making when it comes to what people are looking for in their partner.
0: That is so incredibly insightful and helpful. And I will have the link to that documentary, by the way, in my podcast notes. But that explains so much because you're absolutely right. It was set up in a dramatic context to, I guess, lure in viewers, as you indicated. And it certainly worked. But I do want to add that, as you stated, as a matchmaker, even in this country, The first question I got when I went to college from other Indian Americans is, what part of India are you from? And it really is important because it affects the food, the culture, familial traditions. And so it is still a relevant conversation even in our diaspora as we go into the second and third generation. So you almost have to, you know, these are your clients and you're trying to fulfill their requests.
1: So just want to hear more about that from you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned, it's that cultural differences. So India essentially is a you know, a country that was founded in a, a unionization or where we came together when we realized there was a common cause. Uh, that's history. We don't have to get into it. But the idea being whatever kind of framework we cobbled together to create the state of India, inside of it, we do have cultures that are separated by language, by food, by religious kind of sub practices. And it's almost where we're a a group of tribes or a group of clans that have formed this uh, identity for the outside world saying, hey, we identify as Indian or having these same roots. And now that we're traveling through the diaspora, people are seeking new economic opportunities the world is shrinking we're becoming a smaller place the idea of holding on to these tribal roots or our clannish upbringing is kind of blur being blurred as that second and third generation is finding out what does it mean to be indian american or indian british or you know what that looks like in your new adopted home country so with my clientele I see a little bit of both you've got some of those people who are saying well for my family I need to stick with the particular region or subset or my parents really wouldn't be excited if I brought home somebody that wasn't from blah, blah, blah area. But then on the flip side, you see other people who are embracing the concept of the South Asian-ness, right? Let's celebrate our communal bonds and our communal experiences versus really driving home those boundaries or those differences that really don't affect how we live our life here in America. So taking myself, for example, when I was creating Single to Shadi, a lot of people were like, OK, so you're only going to do Indians or you're only going to do Hindus. or You're only going to do Gujaratis. And for me, being born and raised in America, growing up here, going into college here, like you mentioned, I really identify with the South Asianness. My first experience growing uh, or meeting other Indians or South Asians outside of my family was in college and bam, all of a sudden, I was like, look, these guys are Mulyali and these guys are even Jewish South Asians. You know, I experienced other religions, other cultures, other languages, and I embraced it. I ran with it. And I really, truly love the idea that we're creating our own common identity moving forward. Now, again, relating to my personal experience, I knew in a partner the values and qualities that I wanted to pass on to my children would only come or would be more, uh, less friction or easier for me to accomplish. And my partner identified similar to me. Now, that doesn't just mean Gujarati and Hindu. For me, it was also important that they realized how, you know, came from that immigrant experience. They had a family that might have come in the late 70s, early 80s, that struggle, that living in a mostly white space when we were growing up. Somebody who identified with those experiences was important for me. And more and more, that is what I'm seeing with my clients here in the US. They want somebody that identifies with that immigrant experience. And that's kind of helping blur the lines on not so important where your family hails from, more so that, hey, did you grow up in New Jersey? Or do you know what it's like to grow up in rural Oklahoma and be the daughter of the only doctor in town? That kind of concept.
0: Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, because you're task on behalf of clients in this country really has a different layer to it and different elements, as you indicated. I do agree with you that there is less focus from our generation or those that are born and raised here on on some of the cultural components that may be more important to our parents and their generation. But it kind of leads me into my next question. And what do you approach your clients with when they come to you seeking a life partner? Do you start with a questionnaire? I'd imagine it's very important to understand what they're looking for.
1: Yes, yeah, so we do start with a questionnaire, but it's really more so to capture their information I want to be able to just because we have certain criteria, we work with only individuals over the age of 25 so that they are dating for marriage and have that kind of serious outlook on why they're dating certain qualifications just to make sure that we require a bachelor's degree, identify a South Asian, just some of those demographic details. So we start out with the questionnaire. But when it comes to finding out about what you want and what you're looking for in a partner, I really drive that into a conversational component we do a one-on-one interview with every single person in our database so that we can understand those nuanced you know nuanced reasons for what drives your decision making process or why you're looking for what you're looking for or what's important to you i know that a lot of kind of other technology driven platforms such as dating apps or larger matrimonial sites have you fill all that out in a questionnaire but for me, why I chose matchmaking as opposed to developing an app or a platform was because I love that concept of picking up on those subtleties and that nuances and then making making the connections b- based on that and how they align in your partner as well. So we do touch on items around where you're from, what you're looking for, language, culture, you know, food, cuisine. Is it because of a religious idealism? Is it more for ethical reasons? But I want to dive into some of that root cause or that nuance behind it. Also, because on the flip side, Sonia, when I suggest matches for people, I might push them out of their kind of filters, quote unquote, checklist idea, because I might have picked up on a nuanced concept that I think they would identify with really well in that person that I'm potentially referring to them.
0: Well, that is so interesting. You are definitely not uh, a match.com. You seem to take a very personal dive into the candidate or the client's details, which I think is really critical if you're looking for your life partner and they're trusting you with that job of finding that person. I did want to ask you also about your very unique business model because we were chatting briefly. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. So if you could speak to that just a bit.
1: Absolutely. So what we do, I, I call it matchmaking light, but essentially it's, it's a database model. Traditional matchmakers, if you look at like SEMA Auntie or some of the even the American matchmakers, they charge essentially a headhunting fee. You could think of it exactly like an executive search process or, or, you know, on the business side, if you're looking for a professional career, they will charge you an upfront fee. They will only take a certain number of clients, so either criteria around who can afford who can afford to pay their fee or who they think could they could set up and match it now once you pay an upfront fee, they tend to be uh, more of a hands-on st- one-stop shop. Hey, you sign up for us. We're going to get you six matches. We're going to set up the date, get you through it. And, and, you know, all the way until your contract ends. It seems again, very much on the business side of the industry. I'm not saying that these matchmakers still don't have the right reason and intention to heart, but the setup of charging thousands of dollars up front and only taking a select number of clients. It just, that's like the business aspect of it. Where we flipped it on the head was like, Hey, it's going to be real easy to join, a nominal fee, get the interview done. Let's really get to understand you and what's driving your choices and your preferences. And then you're registered in our database. So as we continue to find new people, recruit new people, bring them in, we start matching you against our database of curated users that have gone through the same exact experience and we've gotten serious answers to the same questions that you provided details on. And we match make on that. And you only pay if you're actually interested in a match that we propose and you want to take it forward so that you're able to make an informed decision. You're not against the gun like, oh, my contract is ending. I've got to say yes. I've got to, you know, to take this as a, as an opportunity. So that way we at Single to Shally are still keeping your true interests at heart. And that our driving factor is to find the one that actually interests you sparks that, you know, Ooh, I see a future here and you really are in control of what your cost factor is. And, you know, when and where you want to move forward. I also think the beauty of working with us in a database model is that You know, you're dating around, you're on an app, your mom introduced you to someone that doesn't prevent you from being registered in our database. And that gives you the flexibility of saying, hey, Radha, thanks for this match. I'm actually talking to somebody right now. I'd rather wait. And that way you're not turning away an opportunity just because you're signed up with a matchmaker because I really believe that you need to be open to the universe. You never know where you're going to meet someone. Hey, if t- you know, tomorrow COVID's over, you've been vaccinated, you walk into a bar and meet the man of your your dreams or the woman of your dreams. Why do you need to be locked into a contract with the matchmaker when, when the universe is giving you a, a clear direction? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. And by reducing that Entry that cost per entry, we're able to service people that might not necessarily be in that financial bracket to pay thousands of dollars to a commitment or you know, committing that money up front. So that's kind of the approach that I took. We wanted to be a matchmaker for all and and in a, in a way that it's not necessarily having to involve your family, even in a financial perspective, to help you in that search. Taking into consideration
0: the fiscal minded nature of our communities many times. So they will not be paying for something unless they actually utilize it. And, and I think that, that that is an important component in all of this. And I did want to ask you as well about a potential franchising of your business, because as I indicated to you, we have a huge audience in South Asia. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you're being inundated with requests from all around the world. And you've indicated that is indeed the
1: case. So wanted to hear more about that. Absolutely. So the more that we advertise, the more that the word of mouth is getting out there, people are really identifying with our concept, our philosophy, and embracing the way we've chosen to approach matchmaking in the South Asian community. So I'm always looking for ways to collaborate, to grow, and to change. And so this idea of franchising came up uh, because we've spent the time, we've been doing this for a little over two years now, we've spent the time to build up you know, a, questionnaire, a matchmaking system that we really truly believe in and it works. So based on what we've learned in these past two and a half years, i'm ready to bring on associate matchmakers continue to spread our global reach and make this same impact in other parts of the of the world because as this as our global community gets smaller and smaller my own clients in the us have been asking hey rada i've got family in, in uk or i grew up in australia before emigrating to the us i'm open to potentially relocating for the right partner and vice versa. I've also been getting approached by people in those countries saying, hey, I'm looking for a matchmaker like you who gets it, who's got this new and fresh way of introducing people without necessarily that old school way that our parents did it. And so I think that this model has so much potential all over the world, including in India, and what that looks like moving forward, I'm really open to discussing it and finding what works best for everyone. I want it to be able to replicate because we want to stay true to our ethics and our, our, our reasons for what we do, but I want to also be approachable and affordable for clients all over the, the, the world.
0: Well, that completely makes sense. And I think um, just from listening to your you, audience, will be able to see that you are truly impassioned about this. And I think that's the key to anyone that you're working with, not to just have a um, one-size-fits-all approach to this. And it's very clear that you take it to heart and, and very seriously. And so I think I can't wait to hear and see how that pans out. And when I first reached out to you about this interview, we were having a laugh about some of the similarities between the familial issues and drama that are playing out in the global media landscape between the british royal family and Meghan markle and prince harry or the duke and duchess of sussex there are some incredible similarities between the south asian and indian culture and the royal family's expectations of Meghan markle the new addition to their family and her subsequent assimilation and embracing of existing traditions Protocols and even packing order. And what I think is so interesting, it's an irrefutable fact that the new daughter in laws in our communities or across the diaspora are, are wholly expected, for the most part, to. A- adapt to circumstances and be flexible to their husband's family. And even the discussions about skin color of future offspring or comments about skin color in general are so pervasive in our families and communities, and regardless of how politically incorrect they might be. And we're just sort of expected to accept this and deal with it. And so I wanted to get your
1: thoughts on this and the similarities absolutely if we thought indian parents were old school or traditional the royal family puts puts that, our parents to shame
0: i feel <laughs> like
1: as an institution i get it institutions are slower to embrace change and and you know they take more time but as an institution they had every opportunity to realize that hey the world is changing uh, our family is changing if you look at kind of the history with diana which a lot of people are drawing that similarity now 20 something years later so they they saw that then the rise of divorce within the british royal family because of matches that were not made in the with the best interests of heart right and so i think that there's so many similarities with that concept and how south asians have always had a of a, 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 a patriarch or or a family's involvement in a in a couple's life moving forward to narrow it even further i think that the royal family is coming out looking Unfortunately, pretty bad in this instance, because two years ago, we rewind a couple years ago when Meghan Markle first entered the picture. The royal family seems so progressive. The queen seems so progressive. The fact that she had no issues with the marriage, knowing that Meghan Markle was divorced. And we know what happened in the past with when somebody in the royal family married a divorcee, things like that. So. They had a very amazing multicultural wedding hosted in England that incorporated so many elements of Meghan Markle's culture and community. And I thought that they did an amazing job at the beginning to embrace her and what she meant when it became adding her to the family. Where things get a little bit uh, convoluted and where I think that they failed came to light with the interview recently around stifling uh, her voice or expecting her just to kind of toe the line or, or come into the fold which it's just not, it's not real. That's not how it happens. I mean, and you knew it going into the wedding that she had these amazing revolutionary ideas and it seemed on the front end that you guys were okay with it. And now all of a sudden you aren't. So I think that's where their epic failure was uh, in that instance. Where I think the similarities continue is unfortunately where we saw in the interview is that they expected her to fall in line, become that good daughter-in-law, just become a part of the family. And I wonder how much of that was kind of communicated to Megan, how much of that was kind of like, let's work on this together. And how much of it was more like, these are the rules and you need to follow them. And I mean, unfortunately that's just not how human nature works. And as a woman, When you see that in 2020, 2021, what is your incentive to stay involved in that family when you're not getting the love, the respect and that uh, reciprocate feeling that from all accounts, what we saw on the front end, we thought that both parties were approaching it. From a place of love and respect. So I think that that is a lesson for a lot of South Asian families to take in is that if you're going to present on the front end, I get this a lot. And I, I laugh when I look at kind of like classifieds in the South Asian papers and stuff about how you know they say a progressive, a modern family seeking a bride. So in my mind, I'm like, if that's how you're presenting yourself to your future daughter-in-law and her family, they are, are agreeing to this union, especially um, a woman's parents are agreeing to this union saying, that all of the empowerment, the education, the, the self, the, the, that self-esteem that we've given to our daughter, we're entrusting you and your family to continue to foster that. And how much of that gets stripped away once that marriage happens? And is that woman empowered to speak up the way Megan spoke up?
0: Oh, I love that concept that, you know, we are entrusting you with our daughter and and it's up to you to foster the respect and love we've given her through her growing up years. And we are um, in the Hindi faith anyway, we're the embodiment of goddess Lakshmi on our wedding day. And so I really wish that would resonate more through not only the matchmaking process, but also after domesticity and and wedded bliss occurs. But I, I completely agree with your comments on everything. And there's no irony in the fact that India was a colony of Britain. So we know all too well what their prejudices towards skin tone, skin color, and, and so many other elements um, that they had an opportunity really to come out looking pretty phenomenal and I agree with you that it's sort of a mixed review and not looking very good at this point. But another element of this royal drama, which intersects with our culture and communities, pertains to the way that the daughter-in-law or the girl is often vilified or cited as the cause of unrest or discord. And and Meghan confided she even had severe depression and even contemplated taking her own life. And though she tried to seek help, it's alleged that the quote-unquote institution wouldn't consider it due to potentially bad publicity. And again, I can't help but correlate this to our communities as well. We often tell women who might be struggling to adapt to their in-laws or new marriage to be flexible and work through issues instead
1: of seeking help. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well yeah this is a classic example of the Lokiakaingya idea, right? What are people gonna say? How are we gonna hold our head in the Samaj or the community that that gets told to us over and over again and especially to females and it sounds like that's exactly what was happening in the institution of the royal family. and again, I can't hearken back to to saying that, The signs were there. The royal family saw this with Diana. She had an eating disorder. They had serious issues in their marriage. I can't help but wonder how much would therapy have helped them? How much would acknowledging that, hey, there's an issue happening in the mental health space in this family just to set the future generations up for success? And this is a warning sign. If, you know, Strike two. If the British family cannot figure it out now, I'm really scared to see what strike three is going to be. And that will ultimately, I think, be what unravels this institution. But talking about that double standard concept, I want to also bring up that at the same time this was unfolding, we have another kind of twin scandal happening in the royal family with Prince Andrew. And it was interesting to see how they all kind of closed ranks, protected him, filed around him. Prince Andrew never had to talk to, you know, the tabloids squashed all of their stories around him. There was no internal investigation opened around him. And I don't know, you know, whatever your values and ethics are, but his allegations are way more problematic than anything that Meghan Markle might have done with her staff in in a bullying perspective. So I just I want to call them out for that double standard. Is it because of her gender? Is it because of her nationality? Is it because of her skin tone? I don't know. But there's definitely a double standard that is there. And I think that by by them not addressing it, it's not helping their cause, if you will.
0: No, it's not. And what I think is so compelling, and I hope listeners who uh, may be seeking a matchmaker are understanding that your deep comprehension of this issue, rather, because I think these are the skills that make you so good at your job. And it's such important work that you're doing and super fulfilling as well. And we just cannot thank you enough for joining us today. And any parting words of wisdom for those who might be trying to play amateur matchmaker or for those that might be interested in seeking your services, what would you suggest to them?
1: Absolutely. So for those of you who are seeking to be amateur matchmakers, I say explore it. I think meeting new people is one of the the joys in life. So if you have a a kind of an impetus around why you're meeting new people, whether it be matchmaking or networking, absolutely pursue it. Reach out to me. Um, As as you mentioned, Sonia, earlier, we're exploring options on bringing on associate matchmakers and what that looks like. So um, definitely reach out to me. And then on the second part, for those of you who are interested in working with a matchmaker or signing up to be a part of our database, absolutely, I say, Take the time to really think about why you're looking to get married. We do address this in our interview process because I get it. There's cultural pressure, family pressure, institutional pressure. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing it for yourself and for your future and what you truly want, I don't see the chances of success being as, as, as much, you know, as great or the fulfillment, right? You could get married, but are you going to be fulfilled? Is that going to be a successful relationship? So I encourage all of my clients to, to date, to get out there, to think about yourself from that perspective of how it is to be in a relationship, how it is to share your life with somebody else. And again, that's one of the reasons why we do wait until a little bit older, take ages 25 and older, because we want you to take the time to focus on yourself and who you are as a person before you open up your life to somebody else
0: wow that is just such great advice and information and we don't often hear it but you're right take a moment to really assess why you would be approaching Radha or any other matchmaker and Radha Patel
1: founder of Single to Shadi thank you so much for joining us today oh Sonia thank you so much for having me it's such a fun conversation it was so much
0: fun thank you